for your Bibles and stand with me for our scripture reading this morning. Pastor Bruce is going to resume our series in Ruth, Finding Hope in a Disappointing World. We're going to be reading Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. This morning, a message titled is Seeking Rest in a Restless World. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can find it on page 156 in your pew Bible. Once again, Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Father, we come to you this morning and ask you to open our hearts and know and minds and just know that we can find uh, rest uh, in, a, in a difficult world uh, through you and through your Son. Be with Pastor Bruce, give him the words to speak and just help us to apply your message in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Zach mentioned in our scripture reading here, we uh, want to resume our series that we began uh, last month, uh, really back in September. And uh, in the book of Ruth, a series in which we've titled Finding Hope in a Disappointing World. And, uh, and since we took a three-week break due to our World Outreach celebration, uh, perhaps it may be uh, uh, good for us to do just a little bit of review of what we learned up into our break. And so uh, if you go back to the first chapter, uh, you may remember if you were part of our series and as we started it, the first chapter of Ruth is filled with... Uh, great disappointment is filled with devastation. And the reason for that is because uh, in the midst of a famine that came to the uh, nation of Israel, to God's people, uh, Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, they moved to Moab in search of food instead of staying in Bethlehem and simply trusting God to provide for them. And of course... Uh, the wages of sin was death, death for them as Elimelech and his two sons died, leaving behind these three grieving widows. Uh, and, uh, but through God's graciousness, Naomi hears that there is food again in Bethlehem where she is from. And Ruth makes this uh, unbelievable commitment to forsake her family, to forsake her false gods of Moab and to follow Naomi back to Bethlehem, but more importantly, to follow Naomi's God, the one true living God in which we have just sung about this morning. And so, 
she makes this commitment and her life is forever changed. That's basically the summary of Ruth chapter 1. And then we come in chapter 2 of Ruth and Naomi and Ruth are now back on Bethlehem. And you would think everything would be hunky-dory, would be awesome and good, except they have hit rock bottom. And the reason is they are broke, They're hungry with no one to provide for them, no one to protect them. And so Ruth, out of of this courageous uh, uh, step of faith, she launches out and tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, hey, I'll go out into the fields and I will glean food for us. And through God's providence, he guides Ruth to the fields of Boaz. Of course, Ruth has no idea who Boaz is at the time, but we later learn that Boaz is a near relative of Naomi, of Elimelech. He's a, a kinsman who will, in the end, become a redeemer for the Ruth and her family, and the family. And so, the chapter ends, though, by making this startling statement that Ruth is still a widow. She still has a need of a husband. Now, if you've read ahead in the book of Ruth, you know that chapter 4 is this great chapter about weddings. It's a joyous chapter because a wedding takes place. But first, there must be this night of seeking, this night of waiting. And in many ways, chapter 3, as Zach read for us, is probably one of the most difficult uh, chapters to understand out of the book of Ruth. And yet, this chapter is essential to the story of Ruth. But more than that, it's essential to our own redemption, our story of redemption as well. Now, one thing I want to make clear right from the beginning here, as we look at chapter 3 in the book of Ruth, everything that happens in this chapter, everything that takes place in chapter 3, hinges on and is set in motion by one great concern. Everything that takes place hinges on a set in motion by Naomi's one great concern for Ruth. And you say, well, what is Naomi's one great concern for her daughter-in-law, Ruth? Well, notice it. The answer is found in verse 1. When Naomi says to Ruth, my daughter-in-law, should I not seek security? In fact, uh, that word can also literally be translated rest. Shall I not seek security or rest for you, that it may be well with you? This is the one great issue that is burning now in the mind and heart of Naomi. She knows that Ruth is still a widow and a stranger in the land. And her great concern for her daughter-in-law is that she will find security and rest in her life. Now just think about that for a moment with me. The idea of security, the idea of rest. Well, that's what everybody is seeking in life. Everybody wants rest in life, security in life. It's what we're all seeking. And and people may not uh, express it in those terms. They may not come out and say, oh, I'm seeking rest, I'm seeking security. But when you strip everything away, and in the heart of hearts, we want to be at peace in our heart. We want to be at rest in our heart. We want a security about who we are and where we're going and what's happening to us. We're all seeking security, rest, if you will. Four weeks ago, as many of you know, most of the world knows, on October 5th, 2011, Stephen Paul Jobs died at his home in Palo Alto, California, at the age of 56 after his eight-year battle with pancreatic cancer. 
Steve Jobs was the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Apple Incorporated. And it was said that he was the Einstein of our time with advances in technology that shaped everything we do today. A brilliant man who dazzled us with technologies such as the iPod, iPhone, iPad, which in his own words, and I quote, don't necessarily change the world but make it easier to allow us to touch people we might not otherwise. He was known as an inventor, an outside-the-box thinker. Jobs also searched for something more, though, in his life marked by a pilgrimage to India in the 70s, experiments with psychedelic drugs, and a lifelong Buddhist practice supported by a strict vegetarian diet. In the mid-70s, Jobs traveled to India and declared himself a Buddhist. From a certain perspective, even Apple's design principles embody a Buddhist aesthetic of simplicity. Whatever job saw, he had been seeking it for decades. According to a new biography by Walter Isaacson, Steve Jobs' hand-picked biographer. For most of my life, I have felt there must be more to our existence than meets the eyes, Steve told Isaacson. The adopted son of blue-collar Californians spent most of his early adulthood searching for that unseen something. And despite his Buddhist background, Jobs was often mean, manipulative, and egocentric, writes Isaacson, whose book is filled with tales of the apple chief's abusive behavior. Unfortunately, his Zen training never quite produced in him a Zen-like calm of inner serenity. In other words, rest. Isaacson writes, and that too is part of his legacy. 60 Minutes, maybe you saw it a couple of weeks ago, uh, did an interview with Stephen Isaacson, the biographer, who shared, and I quote what he said, I remember sitting in his backyard in his garden one day, and he started talking about God. This is Steve. He said, sometimes I believe in God, sometimes I don't. I think it's a 50-50 maybe. But ever since I had a, I've had cancer, I've been thinking about it more. And I find myself believing a bit more. I kind of, maybe it's because I want to believe in an afterlife. That when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated, somehow it lives on. Then he paused for a second and he said, yeah, but sometimes I think it's just like an on-off switch. Click and you're gone. He said, and paused again, and he said, and that's why I don't like putting on-off switches on Apple devices. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, which I'm sure many of you right now are carrying his technology, his inventions, his devices. Let me tell you, he died financially secure. Do you realize he had a net worth of over seven? billion dollars. He died financially secure. But do you think he died spiritually secure? When he took his last breath, do you think he did so with peace in his heart about his eternal destination? Or do you think he died with a restless heart filled with turmoil? 
Steve Jobs was one of the most successful men in the eyes of the world, and yet all the success in the world cannot bring, listen, rest to his soul. Listen, people today are more anxious than ever and are seeking rest like never before. People are searching for a peace. They're searching for security. And unfortunately, most people never find the rest they're looking for because they're looking in the wrong places. And so they live without ever knowing the kind of rest that's only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What is rest? What exactly are we talking about here when we speak of rest? I've defined it this way. Look at it in your notes. Rest is the result of finding your identity and your security in Jesus Christ. Now think about this with me for a moment. When you know who you are in Christ, that's my identity. What is my identity in Christ? I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God or a daughter of God. And when you know your identity in Christ, and you know what you have in Christ, that is my security. And what is my security in Christ is what Peter tells us, is what he calls a living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's the promises of God. It's knowing who you are, where you are, and where you're going. That's my security. And when you know who you are in Christ, and what you have in Christ, let me tell you, then you have truly found rest for your soul and security for your life. This is a rest and a security that the world cannot give us, and that the world cannot steal from us. As David reminds us in Psalm 62, verse 1, I love his words when he says, Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Now, in the context of Ruth chapter 3 here, the kind of rest that Naomi longs for for Ruth, and once for Ruth is specifically, in context, the identity and security that comes from having a marriage to a loving husband. It's the kind of identity and security that a woman in Israel longed for and expected to find in the home of a loving husband. And Naomi knows that when Ruth finds that rest, it will be well with her. In other words, Ruth can finally live at rest knowing she has a place among God's people through her marriage to Boaz. There will be no more uncertainty about her future. No more shadows over her life. The past will have been dealt with. The clothes of mourning as a widow can finally be put away and she will have a place among God's people worshiping the one true God. That's what Naomi's one great concern is for her. But folks, listen to me. This is the same great concern that lies at the heart of the gospel for you and I. The gospel comes to us in the words of Jesus Christ and in the words of Naomi and asks, Shall I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? The kind of rest that Jesus gives us is a rest that washes away all our burdens and the guilt of our past. It's a rest that comes with the promise of eternal security as a child of God. Now, keep in mind, as we go through part of this chapter of Ruth chapter 3, 
that the book of Ruth is much more than just the story of Boaz's marriage to Ruth. The book of Ruth is a picture for us. It's a picture of Christ's relationship to those who put their trust in Him and belong to Him and find rest in Him. And so we're going to look at this chapter in that regard. What we're going to see is that in the steps that Ruth takes to find marital rest in Boaz, we see the steps we must take if we want to find spiritual rest in Jesus Christ. What are those steps? Notice it with me here. If you want to find rest in your life, not just for the future but for the present, you must take three steps. The first step is this. You must come to the right person, which is Jesus Christ. You must come to the right person. Ruth needed a husband. Ruth needed a home of her own. Now, this is not exactly a a new observation. As the last sentence of chapter 2 reminds us, she is still living with her mother-in-law, Naomi which then gives us the transition to what we're seeing happen now in Ruth chapter 3. But put yourself in Ruth's sandals, if you will. Think about it with me. How can a woman of character, especially an outsider like Ruth, go about the task of finding a husband to support her and take care of her? I mean, after all, there was no Facebook back then. There was no eHarmony.com. For Ruth to list her profile, if there was, perhaps it would have read something like this. Widowed Moabitess seeks hardworking man of character for long walks in the barley fields and quiet evenings by the fire. Must love children. So who in Bethlehem would provide rest and security for an outsider, especially a foreigner like Ruth? Well, Naomi knew the answer when she directed Ruth to the right person in Ruth chapter 3, verse 2, when she says, Now Boaz, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our kinsman redeemer? You see, Boaz was a man of character. He was a relative of Naomi through her marriage to Elimelech. He was a man who had already demonstrated that he was willing to go above and beyond the law when it came to caring for the poor when he provided for Ruth in the barley fields in chapter 2. And so it's easy to see the wheels turning in Naomi's head. It's easy to see why she directed Ruth to Boaz. He was certainly the right person for Ruth to come to. You see, this whole issue of Ruth's rest and security hinges on her relationship to one person and one person only. And it's not Naomi, but Boaz. Why? Because he is the kinsman redeemer. The promise of Ruth's security lies in the uniqueness of Boaz in precisely the same way that the promise of our rest, the promise of our security, lies in the person and work in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said to the Jews of his day in Matthew chapter 11, 28, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, the world, as you know it, has its own promises of security and fulfillment and peace and rest. The world promises peace on certain conditions, saying that if we get this, 
Or if we achieve that, it will be well with you. But this kind of security and rest is confined to the experiences of certain pleasures, to the accumulation of certain possessions, and the achievement of certain successes. But it is an elusive dream. I mean, how many people have lived for these very things, and yet they have found no rest for their soul? What do you think Steve Jobs would say to us now if he could come back from his eternal destination and stand before us today? You see, the great concern of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that our souls will find rest. And there is only one place where real, lasting rest may be found. And that is in Jesus Christ. Now, let me pause here for a moment. And I want to draw your attention to a very interesting observation about Naomi's change of heart. Because it's radical. Have you noticed it already? You see, throughout most of the story of Ruth, Naomi has been preoccupied with three people. And we all know who these three people are. Me, myself, and I. Right? That's been Naomi's. She had turned inward as a result of being consumed by her grief and her bitterness. Yet now she is starting to think of someone else's needs rather than her own. It's almost as if when Naomi awakens to the graciousness and the goodness of God at work in her life, her hope comes alive within her, and the overflow of this hope now is what? It's her great concern for Ruth to find rest. And so she points Ruth to the right person who can provide it for her. What I think has happened to Naomi somewhere along this journey that she's been on is I think she's come to a place of repentance in her life. I think she has seen the light and she has repented of her bitterness towards God. And now she can see the graciousness and goodness of God at work in her life. And so instead of having this inward focus, it's now an outward focus and she can begin to think of others and serve others. Bitterness drives us inward in self-absorbed focus and depression. But repentance enables us to serve other people's needs. And you are seeing the demonstration of that in Naomi's one great concern for Ruth. So if you want to find real rest, lasting rest, then you must first come to the right person of Jesus Christ. Step number two is you must come to the right place. That is the cross. You must come to the right place. Boaz was the right person who could change Ruth's whole life by redeeming her through marriage. But how exactly does a woman make such a delicate proposal of marriage? I mean, Ruth could hardly walk up to Boaz in the middle of the barley field, drop to one knee and say, Boaz, marry me. Now today we wouldn't think twice about that, would we? But not back then. Moreover, get this, it was now close to the end of the wheat harvest, and so approximately six to eight weeks after the first encounter between Ruth and Boaz in the fields has gone by, and there seemed to be little progress in in this relationship developing. I mean, is Boaz even interested? Does he take notice of her? 
What's going on here? However, Naomi had an idea of how to jumpstart things. But it meant Ruth had to go and see Boaz at the right place. Notice Naomi's instructions to Ruth in verses 2 through 4. Naomi says to her, In fact, he, that is Boaz, is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment. Now, that best garment doesn't mean put on your best dress like we think of putting on our best Sunday clothes or we're going to go out on a date or anything. All that means is an outer garment that's normally served for the purpose of keeping warm, especially at night you would use it as a blanket even. And then Naomi says, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man, that is Boaz, until he has finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Now, let's be honest. This is a rather odd way of finding a husband, to say the least. Uh, You single gals, I would not recommend this methodology. All right? To you single guys, I don't recommend it either. In fact, these instructions by Naomi are extremely ambiguous, where almost every word in the Hebrew in verse 4 is capable, get this, of more than one idea. Which is why some commentators, I would venture to say liberal commentators, interpret this incorrectly, I believe. They interpret this in a sexual way. That something took place that was not pleasing to God. And yet, our minds can't help but go there when you read this. I mean, after all, what is one to think of a woman who bathes, puts on perfume, and then in the dark of the night lies next to a man? Seems like an invitation to me. Did Naomi really intend for Ruth to seduce Boaz and act like a Moabite woman? And remember, the Moabite women were known for their sexuality, their prostitution even, which, on the threshing floor, that happened quite a bit. Or was this simply Naomi's desperate attempt to extend an invitation to Boaz to act as a kinsman redeemer by marrying Ruth? While we don't have time to answer every question about this strange scenario, I think it's safe to say that the writer of Ruth here wants us, can I say it this way, to fill the suspense, to fill the ambiguity, the ambi- got my tongue twisted, the ambiguity, ambig- somebody say it for me. Ambiguity. Thank you. To fill the ambiguity of the situation as it unfolds before our eyes. The writer's putting us there with it. What I want us to focus on and take note of is Ruth's faith in verse 5. When she simply tells Naomi, in response to her instructions, all that you say to me, I will do. (laughs) Whoa! And then notice where Ruth went in verse 6. So she went down to the what? threshing floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. Now, why go down to the threshing floor? What is the big deal about a threshing floor? I don't even know what that is. How many know what a threshing floor is? I had to look it up. What's the big deal? Why go to the threshing floor? Because it was the end of the harvest time for threshing the barley and the wheat. It was time for separating what was 
valuable and inside from what was outside and unnecessary. And threshing depended on a large extent to the, on the breeze, the air coming through to separate the wheat from the shaft as you threw it into the air. And then it fell onto the threshing floor. So the threshing floor, think of it this way. It's a place of separation. And Bethlehem's threshing floor was probably outside the city where it could catch the breeze better. Now, in the Bible, and I don't have time to show you this, but in the Bible, let me tell you, the threshing floor is a very significant place. It's the place, as I said, of separation. It's the place where God deals with his people and separates our sin and our selfishness and our self-interest and our self-reliance like he, God did with who in Judges? Gideon. Go to Judges chapter 6, and where does God find Gideon? Threshing wheat, except he wasn't doing it on the threshing floor. He was doing it in a wine press because he was so scared like a little baby. Because the Midianites were coming down and terrorizing them. But God separated all that out at the threshing floor of Gideon. What I want you to see here is the threshing floor is the place of separation. In fact, we will, God gives us this picture even that it will be in the final judgment. It's represented by a threshing floor when God sends his angels to gather the nations and the wheat and the tares that grew together till the time of the harvest will be brought to God's threshing floor and he will separate the chaff who are false believers from the wheat who are true believers. And so the threshing floor is a place of separation. It's a place where God deals with us. And the threshing floor of Boaz was to be the place where Ruth would find rest and peace and security her soul longed for. Now for us today, for you and I, who because of our sin nature, we have no peace with God. And we have no rest in our hearts because of our sin nature that we're born with. We are born as enemies of God. God has a place where he resolves the issues that affect our relationship with him. So that we can now have peace with him. We can now have rest in our souls. You say, what is that place? Well, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the place where God deals with every sinner who comes to him in faith. It's there at the cross that God's judgment is poured out on his son. It's there at the cross that God is able to deal with our past and wash away every sin by Christ's shed blood. It's there at the cross where Christ paid the price for our own redemption. And so Naomi directs Ruth to go to the man who can redeem her. If she is to find rest and security, she must go to Boaz at the threshing floor. Yes, Naomi's instructions were bizarre, to say the least. I don't fully understand them all, I'll be honest with you. So why did Ruth follow these strange instructions? I think there's two primary reasons here. Quickly, first of all, Ruth Ruth came to Boaz at the threshing floor with a great need. She'd follow this because she had a great need in her life. Boaz alone had the promise of rest and security for her soul. Ruth, for Ruth, there was only one redeemer who could meet her great need, and she had to see him that very night. Listen, 
Listen, folks, there's only one thing that drives people to Christ. One thing and one thing only that drives us to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is when we recognize our own great need as sinners. You see, without this sense of need, we will never come to Christ for our identity and our security and our rest. We will continue to try to find peace and security and identity in what the world has to offer. But the world develops within us a sense of independence apart from God, a sense of self-reliance. I don't need God, and it encourages us to say, I have need of nothing. But the reality is we still have a huge need. And only Christ can satisfy and meet that great need. And then number two, Ruth came to Boaz at the threshing floor with great boldness. Perhaps Ruth was pushing the boundaries of decency to their limit by coming to Boaz in the middle of the night. In fact, some might even question her integrity and her motives, but Ruth is restless. The matter had to be settled. She can't delay it any longer. She has to deal with it now, once and for all, even if it means risking her reputation. And that's why she comes so boldly to lie at the feet of Boaz at the threshing floor. And in the same way, the gospel exhorts us to come now to Jesus for rest and security. Yes, other people may question, what are they doing? They may question your motives, and they may question just, oh, you need Christ? But our need ought to fuel our boldness. So Ruth came with a great need and with a great boldness to the right person at the right place in order to find rest. She came to the threshing floor of Boaz. And if we want to find rest, then we must do the same. We must come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Step number three, though, we must come with the right petition. We must come with the right petition. Save me. Ruth follows Naomi's instructions to come to Boaz at the threshing floor. Notice how it all plays out in verse 7. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, that, that little phrase there, uncover his feet, what in the world does that jester mean? Uncover his feet. Some scholars think it may have been a symbolic proposal of marriage, since in Israel the word feet was a euphemism for human sexual organs. So perhaps, uncovering Boaz's feet and laying next to him, Ruth was simply showing her humility and showing her readiness for marriage. But the gesture may have also served another purpose, that it would expose Boaz's feet to the cold, cool night air. And when your feet are exposed to the cool, cold night air, what do you do? You wake up and you cover them. And when he would do that, lo and behold, who would he find? Ruth. And that's exactly what happened. Notice what it says in verse 8. Now it happened again. Or now it happened And uh, we've seen that word before. Let me just remind you, it didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by coincidence. Nothing happens by accidents or coincidence. It happened because of God's divine providence. So it happened at midnight 
that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was laying at his feet. How many of you like Snoopy? That great canine, the masterful canine. He once said, life is full of rude awakenings. And more than one man in the Bible would agree with Snoopy. Adam went to sleep and woke up to discover he was now married. Jacob woke up only to discover he was married to the wrong woman. And now Boaz woke up to find a woman laying next to him. So it's understandable that Boaz was just a little startled, you could say a little freaked out, when he asked in verse 9, Who are you? Notice Ruth's answer in verse 9. I am Ruth, your maidservant. And then Ruth makes her request known to Boaz when she says, Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a near kinsman. Now, instead of leaving the situation dangerously ambiguous, as a woman of character, notice what Ruth does. She wanted to make her intentions clear right from the start. Her goal, listen to me, was a commitment of marriage, not a single night of passion. It's interesting, this word, wing, can also be translated as robe or garment. And so the NIV translates Ruth's petition this way. In other words, she says to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Now that idea there, spread your garment over a person, or spread one's garment over a person, was a symbol of commitment. It would be roughly the equivalent of when a, a man gets on his knee and proposes to his lovely bride-to-be and asks her hand in marriage. And what does he do? He gives her something. What does he give her? A ring, an engagement ring. What? As a symbol of his commitment to her, that he will fulfill and do everything necessary to fulfill it. And so it's kind of the same thing here, of spreading one's garment over a person. The same idea is found in Ezekiel 16.8, when God describes Israel as a young bride that he took for a wife. Look what it says there in your notes. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing or my robe over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. But get this. Now, this is really good. Because Ruth is also using an interesting wordplay on Boaz here. Between the Hebrew word for wing in verses three, chapter 3, verse 9, in the word meaning wing, if you go back to Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. In, ver- in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz asked God to bless Ruth because she had come to find rest under the wings of God. Remember that? And so now she comes back to Boaz in verses three, verse, chapter 3, verse 9, and Ruth is asking Boaz to spread his wing over her in marriage. In other words... This is cool. Ruth is asking Boaz, be the answer to your prayer. She's basically saying, marry me and your wing will be God's wings of rest and security for me. What a beautiful picture of God's love for us. And his willingness to provide rest and security through his son, Jesus Christ. Now came the moment of truth. 
How would Boaz respond to Ruth's request? Well, he agreed to marry Ruth and do all that is necessary to become her kinsman and redeemer. And in the same way, when we come to Jesus at the cross and ask Him to save us, He willingly meets our need of salvation. In fact, Boaz's response to Ruth is a picture of the Lord's response to us when we come humbly to Jesus. Notice two things quickly here. First of all, the Lord will accept you when you come to Him. Look what Boaz says to Ruth in verse 10. Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. I mean, instead of calling her Ruth the Moabite, he calls her my daughter, which is a term of endearment. In other words, it didn't matter where Ruth came from. It didn't matter what her background was. Who she was as a Moabite, because of her faith in God, she was now accepted as part of the community of God's people. And then number two, the Lord will assure you when you come to him. Now just think about this. Can you imagine the anxiety Ruth must have been feeling as she came to Boaz at the threshing floor in the middle of the night and basically proposed to him? Look how Boaz assures her in verse 11. He says, and now my daughter, the second time he uses that word, do not fear. I will do all that you request. Do you realize fear not? That command, it is a command. That command is repeated more than any other command in the Bible. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not is the word of assurance that the Lord gave to many people in the Bible. And folks, he continues to give us that same word of assurance today. Listen, our assurance is not based in our feelings or our circumstances but in God's word. Hebrews 13.6 says, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What an amazing story. Ruth chapter 3, at least the first 11 verses here. Amazing story. Ruth started at the beginning of Ruth chapter 3 with one great need in her life. To find rest. And she found rest because she was willing to come to the right person at the right place with the right petition. And we can find rest for our souls if we are willing to do the same as Ruth, but we must come to the right person in Jesus Christ at the right place at the cross with the right petition of, Lord, please save me. If I could go back to the beginning, Steve Jobs searched his whole life for the kind of rest for the soul that is only found in Jesus Christ. And he died with a restless heart because he never came to Jesus Christ, as far as we know. There was another person who died last month at the age of 87 on October 28th. She had no earthly fame, no earthly fortune to speak of. But she had one thing Steve Jobs didn't have. She had rest in her soul. Dorothy Peters died with rest in her heart, knowing she was at peace with the Lord. In fact, she longed to go home to be in the presence of the Lord. That's the kind of rest that's only found in Jesus Christ. But she just didn't die with rest in her heart. Folks, listen, if you knew her, she lived with a peace of heart. 
Because she had peace with God through Jesus Christ. She had what Steve longed for and what he was searching for. And no amount of money can buy that kind of rest. The world cannot offer that kind of rest to you. Because it's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here and you're still seeking rest. And you're tired of coming up empty of where you're seeking it. And you're tired of coming up restless at night when you lay awake in bed and put your head on the pillow and the turmoil and the chaos in your heart just grinds away at you. Listen, you can find the rest you're searching for once and for all today if you're willing to come humbly to the right person at the right place with the right petition. In just a moment, we're going to have a a time to respond where the praise team's going to sing. And you can pray to the Lord. In fact, there's even a prayer at the bottom of your notes that you can follow. But before we close, let me ask a question to those of us who are already followers of Christ and have found rest in Jesus Christ. Those of you who would say, Jesus is my Savior, I know Christ. And if you're here this morning, then here's my question to you and to myself. Like Naomi, am I concerned enough for people who are lost and restless to lead them to Jesus Christ so they may find rest? In other words, like Naomi, do I have a heart that cares enough to act? act? Folks, listen to me. Naomi had one great concern for Ruth, that she would find rest. What about you? What about me? What's your one great concern for people who are lost and restless? Are you concerned enough to show them Christ and to tell them about Christ and to lead them to Christ so that he or she might find rest for their soul? Let's bow our heads. And as the praise team comes, here's here's what I'm asking you to do this morning in response to this message. If you're still seeking rest, and you want to find the kind of rest that's only found through a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I'm asking you to come to Jesus at the cross and ask Him to save you. And if you need to, to use the sample prayer that's there in your notes. Right where you're sitting, will you come to Jesus at the cross and ask Him for the rest that He can only give you? If you're here this morning you're a believer in Christ, then I'm asking you, to write down just the name of one lost person and pray for them right now. One person who you know who was lost and restless because they don't know Jesus Christ. And to pray that God would use you to lead them to finding rest in Jesus Christ. While the praise team sings, will you respond? So